I'm pretty blessed as the pastor here. I mean, I pretty much, let's just be honest, I get away with murder. Like, some of the stuff I say on this stage, I will have pastor friends call me, and they're like, how do you still have a job? And I say, man, they're not even phased by it. So it's rare that I feel like I should give a disclaimer. But I'm going to give a disclaimer today. The minute this service is over, I'm getting in my truck and my wife and I are going on vacation with no kids. So there's no telling what I'm going to say today because I'm going to be fast. I was looking at my notes this morning and I don't remember writing any of it this week. It might not make any sense. But I'm claiming to that promise where the Bible says the word of God will not return back void. And I am counting on the fact that you're going to get something out of it today. And for the record, let me go ahead and address this. We're leaving today. We will be back in the middle of the week. Which means we will be here next Sunday and I will be teaching next Sunday. So for everybody that tries to figure out the preaching calendar around here, when I'm preaching and when I'm not preaching, so you can miss... When I'm not here, I'm going to be yelling at you next week. And what's sad is you miss great blessings because here's the deal, man, you get great teaching from the Word of God. But that's between you and God. But I'll be here. And I will be meaner than normal because I will have to be mad that I came back from the beach. So I won't make any sense this week. It's normally a two-week process. No sense this week and mean next week that I'm not on the beach. We're in the third week of a series that we've been calling Warrior. Hands down. The most downloaded series we have ever done in our history. The first week was the most downloaded sermon we've ever done. Last week was the second most downloaded sermon. It definitely seems to be impacting people, and it seems to be a message that is resonating with people, and the premise is real, 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 real simple. God is looking for some warriors. He's looking for some people who are willing to lay it all on the line to fulfill the vision that God has for their life. He's looking for some people who are not willing to bend a knee or not willing to operate in cowardice. They're willing to stand up even if nobody around them is standing up. And they're willing to do what they feel God has laid on their heart regardless of the repercussions, regardless of cancel culture, regardless of being blacklisted, regardless if they lose it all. God's looking for some people who are saying, man, this is what I have called you to do. And I am looking for you to have the testicular fortitude to stand up and do what I've called you to do. Make no mistake about it today, each and every one of you here today, God has placed a dream in your heart. When you were born, God created you and he created you for a purpose. He says, I know the plans that I have for you. I have plans to prosper you. We hear the word prosper and automatically think money. No, no, he said, we know the plans to prosper you. I have created you with a purpose and a vision and a plan. What you don't realize, though, is the vision that God has placed in you, especially you men, is the vision that God has placed in you does not only impact you, it impacts so many others. So when you are less than what God intended for you to be, the ripple effect can be good and bad. When you're following the dream and you're following the passion, lives are being changed. And when you're cowering, and there's no other way to say you're cowering from the vision God created you for, the ripple effect happens. We need to understand something. The dream that God has placed in you is bigger than you. Let me give you a little education. A life is not about you. You might think it's about you. 
You might wish it was about you. You might have a weak spouse who tells you it's all about you to keep peace in the house. But it's not about you. Your dreams cannot be done by yourself. God has put people in your life to impact your dreams, to manifest your dreams, to enable your dreams to happen. And that's the scary part of having no warriors. You can be a warrior, but if you've surrounded yourself with cowards, the dream will never happen because God has put you together as a team. There's a reason in the New Testament when they went out and started churches, they went out in groups, they went out in twos. Your strengths are my weaknesses and my weaknesses are your strengths. And your dream is not only about you. Your dreams cannot be done by yourself. One of my favorite portions of scripture that illustrate this. Like I read it on the regular because I just think it's so cool. It's in 2 Samuel 23. 2 Samuel 23 is listing the mighty men of David. David will go down as the greatest king in history with the greatest empire ever. There was none better, and there was none bigger. The Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. Man, what a statement. Especially when you see that David lived life that was way less than perfect. He wasn't the best husband, wasn't the best father, and many times made poor leadership decisions. Yet God blessed him. He was a man after God's own heart. He, he's the ultimate rags to riches story from shepherd to king. Yet David would have been nothing. Don't miss this. David would have been nothing without two things. The first thing, the vision from God. But the vision from God was not enough to make the vision happen. He would have been nothing without the men listed in 2 Samuel 23. You should go read about these men. I, I mean, 2 Samuel 23 is a list of the who's who's of tough guys. It's the who's who of the baddest dudes on the planet. They were David's mighty men. They were David's best friends. They were David's closest confidence. Not only was their courage unmatched, and do not miss this, their loyalty to David was unmatched. To a man, they were willing to risk their lives for David. In the truest sense of the word, they were warriors. I think one of the greatest assets we can have, scrap that, the greatest asset that we can have to achieving our purpose in life is self-awareness. Self-awareness. So few people have self-awareness. So few people are willing to be honest with themselves and say, though these are my strengths, these are my weaknesses. And because of my strengths and because of my weaknesses, my skill set lends itself to blank. That might be the leader. It might be the second man. It might be the foot soldier. Whatever it is, that's where you want to be. 
You want to be exactly what God called you to be because as the body, every part is vital. If you ask me what part of my body I want to cut off, there's no part of my body I want to cut off. Big fan of ten fingers. Big fan of ten toes. Can I hear with one ear? I can, but I'm a big fan of two of them. They balance me out. Big fan of both my eyes. Can I see with one eye? Probably, but I can barely see with two, so. Big fan. Don't want anything cut off. Maybe the belly. But even I'm, a, I'm even a fan of that. Because that means I got to eat cheesecake and chocolate cake and all the good things out there that God created. And the Lord said it was good. Self-awareness is a powerful gift. Second Samuel 23, it says, who's who of tough guys? What is interesting to me, though, in 2 Samuel 23, is it lists David's mighty men. Don't miss this. This is, this is mind-boggling to me. I never noticed this. As many times as I've read this scripture, sometimes you just make some assumptions. But I was reading the backstory, and I was putting timelines together one time. This is a few years ago. And it occurred to me that as 2 Samuel 23 is listing David's mighty men, David wasn't even king yet. Think about that. These men had pledged their allegiance to David. They decided they wanted to be part of something bigger than themselves. And they're literally pledging allegiance to a shepherd boy who's on the run from the king. That's power. That's the power of a vision. It's men willing to stand up and say, man, we're going to stand for something because we refuse to fall for anything. They weren't there for the fame because there was no fame in David's life at this time. David was a fugitive. Literally, the current king was trying to kill him. But they said, we're pledging allegiance to this man. And it made me start asking some questions. What drew these men to David? Why would they stand loyal with a wanted man? What turned this ragtag group of rebels into a band of brothers who would risk their life for what seemed at the time and to the outsiders looking in a lost cause? Very simple. They were drawn to the power of a dreamer with a God-sized dream. Let me repeat that. They were drawn to the power of a dreamer with a God-sized dream. You might not be the person that the dream was birthed in, but you might be the person who's supposed to come along and put the systems together, the organization together, the muscle together to make that dream happen. But your self-awareness will not allow that. The fact that you're not a warrior will not allow that. You would rather stand back and be something that you're not. You would rather stand back and let others chase their dreams. And we don't realize that when we stand up and we do what we're called to do, that vision is contagious. You get around a visionary and you're ready to charge hell with a water gun if you're a warrior. Instead of reading about other people's visions, you're saying, man, I want to be whatever part of it I can be. 
If it means I'm the 10th man down on the totem pole, man, I'm going to be the 10th man down on the totem pole because I am secure in who God's called me to be and I'm willing to take a stand. I'm willing to be a warrior. I mean, if you go down and you read these people's exploits, it's amazing. But anybody that knows me and anybody that's been at this church for a long time, and there's a lot of new people here, so you might not know this, but everyone knows I'm drawn to one man in particular, a guy named Benaniah. I mean, you go and you read the exploits, and we'll read some of them during this, but man, I think the craziest of them all, the most warrior-like of them all was Benaniah. And here's what the Bible says about Benaniah. Benaniah, a valiant fighter, performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day, and he killed a lion. I'm going to read that again in case you missed it. He went down into a pit on a snowy day, and he killed a lion. He struck down a huge Egyptian. Although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, Benaniah went against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. It was a bad man. It was a bad man. Such were the exploits of Benaniah. He too was as famous as the three mighty warriors. So of David's mighty men, there was three that were just kind of the inner circle. And Benaniah was as famous as these. He was held in greater honor than any of the other 30. But he was not included among the three. Look what it says. Don't miss this because this is what I'm going to talk about. Vision rippling down. And David put him in charge of his bodyguard. You're on the run. You know God has a vision on your life. You're in what I like to call the waiting period of the vision. I'm in the waiting period of a vision right now. And can I just be honest with you right now? I hate waiting. I know you find that shocking. Very impatient. I'm like a whole two weeks into this waiting period. And it feels like five years. And the problem is, what I'm doing right now is a very slow process. So I'm itching and I'm scratched. It's just hard. And they're in this waiting period of David. They believe David's going to become king, but he's not king now. They're actually hiding out and living in caves, but they're supporting the visionary because they buy into his vision. And David says, man, I'm wanted. And I'm not just wanted by anybody. I'm wanted by the king. So I need a group of men around me. I would think the person leading that group of men would be one bad mofo. And Benaniah gets that. Four simple verses. Listed in the middle of bragging on 37 other men. There's Benaniah. He killed two of Moab's mightiest warriors. He killed an Egyptian with the Egyptian's own spear. But he jumped into a pit on a snowy day. And he killed a lion. I, I don't really understand that, to be honest with you. I've preached on this before, and I'm not preaching on it today. I've preached on the power of chasing the lion. I might preach it again. It's one of my favorite sermons. But today I want to talk to you about the results of chasing the lion. 
because Ben and I have made a decision here. It didn't impact that moment. It impacted Ben and I as eternity. It impacted the direction of his life. It not only impacted the direction of his life, it impacted the, the direction of David's life. Because Benaniah was willing to take a stand when a stand was needed to take, listen to me, because he made one decision, the other people around him were impacted. And here's what I want you warriors to understand. You are one decision away from changing your life. But that goes both ways. You're one decision away, bad decision away from changing your life. But you're one good decision away from changing your life. You're frustrated during the waiting period of the vision. Things are not going. You heard my sermon two weeks ago and you were all jacked up and you were all fired up. And it's been a whole two weeks. And she doesn't look at you like you thought she would after two weeks, even though you were a shitty person for seven years to her. Oh, crappy, I'm sorry is what I meant to say. And now, two weeks in of you doing it, she hasn't changed. Ladies, you, you've started being a warrior in your home and you're praying over your husband and, and you're trying to lead by example and, and it's been two whole weeks and man, you don't think anything's changed. He doesn't want to come to church yet or he's not being attentive or whatever and you're ready to walk away, but it's only been two weeks. You're in the waiting period. The waiting period sucks. David's living in a cave. He's having to watch every move because he doesn't know when Saul and the men are going to kill him. He's enemy number one. He's on the FBI's number one most wanted list. He's hanging in the post office in Israel. They're in the waiting period. But Ben and I makes a decision during this period that changes everything. I mean, I want you to think about this because I got to set up the scenario before we get into the sermon. He jumps into a pit with a lion on a snowy day. I want you to picture it for me. I, like, why is this not a movie? I mean, can you not picture it? I mean, it's like a Zack Snyder movie, so even though it's white snow, it's kind of dark. It's got that 300 vibe going on. Snow's falling. The camera pans out, and you see this guy walking. It's been a night, and you can barely see him because there's so much snow. And the only reason you can really see him is when the movie he breathes and the frozen breath comes out. And all of a sudden, in the movie, that dramatic music's playing. You can feel it, man. Now the corner, we see him cut his eyes, and out of his corner, you see something move. You don't know what it was. Just something flashes. You know it's something serious, but you don't know what it was. At this time, you don't realize it's a lion. And suddenly, without hesitation, Ben and I just breaks out into a sprint. But he's not running away from the movement. He's running towards the movement. Suddenly, as you're watching the movie on the IMAX, you're in Theater 8 at the Riverstone Theater, and it's so big and so awesome, and you're in them awesome, comfortable leather chairs. You suddenly realize that what he is chasing is a lion. Hear my words. The lion is not chasing him. He's chasing the lion. That's a warrior. That's crazy. It's a made-for-Hollywood moment. Rich Ward has been part of my life now for ever how long we've been in this building, seven years, eight years. For eight years, I've been trying to talk him in on the latest Fozzie album to write a song 
about chasing a lion. Obviously, I'm not a musician and not a rock star, so apparently that is not what people want. They want sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I want, man, somebody's walking through the snow chasing a lion. Man, I want guitar solo in the middle of it. I want Jericho belting out some crazy lyric. I, I just want craziness. And there's like a like. I don't know. Like, I'm not a singer, but like that's how I picture it in my head. And when I picture it in my head, it's awesome. You know what I mean? It's awesome. Like they're they're like will Willie B at the Atlanta Zoo filming the video. Is Willie B still alive? I don't know. But they're like with the gorillas. And I don't know why they're with the gorillas when it has to do with chasing the lion. Because so they're in the lion's den. Like I can just picture the whole thing. It's money. Just me trying to get my gold record. <laughs> that becomes gold. I get one for the wall. Man, it's just made for, it's just crazy. You got to understand some things about lions. You know the lions weigh 500 plus pounds? And they can run 36 miles per hour? There's a reason they're the king of the jungle. Let's just be honest, man. As you're looking at this movie, you think Benaniah doesn't stand a chance. But Benaniah doesn't care. Instead of running away from the fight, he's a warrior and he's running towards the fight. He realizes this is his moment and you're going to see the repercussions of this moment as we break down the story. He flips the script. Normally, lion chases man, lion catches man, lion kills man. That's not what's happening here. I can just picture the look of determination in Benaniah's eyes. He's running. He's got spear in his hand. But he couldn't catch the lion. 500 pounds, 36 miles per hour. But suddenly in the movie, you hear this loud cracking sound. And as the lion is running, because he's 500 pounds, the snow collapses under the lion. The ground caves in, and now suddenly the lion is in a pit. First of all, let me make this very clear. I ain't chasing a lion like that. But if I was stupid enough to chase a lion, like I had some fireball in me or something, I'm like, hold my beer, let's go, I'm chasing the lion. The minute the ground caves in and the lion goes in the hole, I'm like, (laughs) I'm turning around walking away. That lion can't mess with anybody now. He's in a hole. He's going to slowly die down there. He can't get out of the hole. I might, might, I doubt it because I'm chicken. I might would walk to the edge of the pit and be like. And then I'm going back to doing whatever it was I was doing. Knowing me, it was probably, again, eating cheesecake or something. So Ben and I turns around. He begins to walk away. And everybody, as you're watching on the screen, you're like, that was intense. But, man, he got out of it. But suddenly you realize Benaniah is not walking away. He's just walking away where he can turn around and get a running start. And he begins to run towards the pit. He jumps into the pit. And right when he's out of view, the movie screen goes blank. And it's silence. And everybody in the theater is quiet. Unless you're in Atlanta at a black theater. Now they're talking. Anybody been to a black theater? Don't jump in there! Like they talking, talking to the screen. But we all white folk, 
We have no soul to us, so we just watch it in silence. Screen's blank. Feels like the screen's blank forever, but it's really only blank for a second. It comes back on, and it's not in the pit. The camera's not in the pit. The camera's outside the pit. And you're fully expecting a lion paw to come up. But all of a sudden, you see a bloody hand come up. You see another bloody hand come up. You see a man begin to push himself up out of the pit, and you realize that Benaniah has jumped in the pit with the lion on a snowy day, and he's won. Let me tell you something. You cannot defeat the lions you do not chase. Lions are scary. They're bigger than you. Listen, stepping out of faith is scary. It, can be, it better be bigger than you. Chasing your dreams is not for the faint of heart. If it was easy, everybody would do it. Listen, having the marriage God wants you to have is not easy. If it was, everybody would have it. Getting sober is not easy. If it was, everybody would do it. Fighting your hurts, your habits, your hang-up is not easy. If it was easy, everyone would do it. Getting your finance in order is not easy. Ah, if I can just make more money, if you just made more money, you'll spend more money unless you learn how to manage the money you have. Starting your own company is not easy. Hustle is the buzzword. Hustle sounds good. It looks cool on a shirt. But living the hustle is exhausting. People come up to me all the time, man, you had a good day today. I'm like, I did. I'll never forget ball ground. I don't know why. I don't know if it's because it was ball ground. It was the first time we'd been there. More people come to me, man, I bet you're happy. I'm happy. Man, you made good. I said, yeah. Problem was, that was April 30th. Well, I don't realize I don't got another festival until October 15th. May, June, July, August, September, half of October. That's five and a half months before another one of those paychecks come in. And then October 15th, I show up, and all of a sudden, maybe it decides to rain that day. So there is no peace. There is no let's breathe and let's relax. You're thankful. But that's how the outsider view chasing a lion. It's easy. Everyone can do it. No, you got to chase a lion, and the lion's hard. Benaniah, he feels alive. His life is changed. And the ripple effects of what's about to happen, all because he chased the lion. I don't know what the lion is in your life, but here's what I do know you know. Your, your lion, again, it might be a physical thing. Your lion might be an emotional thing. Your lion might be a, a mental thing. Your lion might be a relational thing. But you have that thing in your life that is stalking you. It's 500 pounds and it, run, and it runs 36 miles per hour. And it's going to stalk you the rest of your life if you don't stalk it. Benaniah is about to change his life. Because of what he did, but don't miss this, don't miss this. But what he did also changed the life of David. David doesn't live to become king without Benaniah. He was the head of the bodyguard. He made one decision as a warrior, and it affected everyone around him. What I'm telling you today, men, 
is you're one decision away from changing your marriage. You're one decision away from changing your parenting. You're one decision away from changing. Oh, man, this is something we, we, we underrate. You're one decision away from changing the peace in your life. You know what God has taught me in the last few years? That peace is the most amazing gift ever. I used to get in periods of peace and would create drama because I didn't know how to function in the peace. I'm serious. I didn't know how to function in the peace. You know why some of you laugh? Because you've been there. You don't know how to operate when things are going good. You self-implode. I used to be like, man, if there's no drama, I'm going to create some drama because I like chaos. Man, I'm 46 years old now. I hate chaos. I despise chaos. How many of you lately have come to me and said, do you hear what I said? I, I don't care. Their opinion of me is none of my business. There's a reason I unfriended them. There's a reason they're no longer part of my life. And so if I wanted them part of my life, I would have them part of my life. So I don't need you to update me on their life. But you love drama. You love chaos. You love the nitty-gritty gossip. You know what I heard? Man, what's the one decision you need to bring peace in your life? The Bible says it depends on us, as it depends on yourself to so live at peace with everyone. I'm responsible for my actions. One decision away. He made one decision. And let me go ahead and tell you, you can't be a warrior without making that decision. Only warriors make those type of decisions. Only those that are brave make those type of decisions. Only those who realize this might fail, but I'm going to step out in faith anyway, make those type of decisions. You're one decision away from changing your life. And men, I want you to understand, especially in women too, but men especially, you're one decision away from changing your family's life. One decision. They're looking for you to man up. They're looking for you to take lead. They're looking for you to be a role model that they can actually look up to and want to be like. But you're too busy being a boy instead of a warrior. We got a bunch of grown boys. And you know what's worse? We're creating grown boys. We got men who don't want to be part of raising their kids, but then they get mad when their boys act like girls. Well, guess what? That's what happens because you're not around and mommy's doing all the raising. (laughs) Mommy don't know how to raise them like a boy. She's not a boy. Oh, did I say that? Let me say it again. We got a bunch of men who get mad at their kids because they ain't tough. They don't have a backbone. They don't stand up. Yet they get mad, and they're not part of raising them. The wife's raising them, and guess how a wife raises someone like a girl? Because you know why? She's a girl. She pees sitting down. She can't go off the back porch like a man can. We've taken these warrior kids, and what do we teach our kids? How to be nice. How to be good. How to be civilized. My Luke and Bubba Misty's son, Cade. Man, they're demons with each other. Demons with each other. They're both crappy kids to each other. I had to go threaten them today. But guess what? I didn't tell them to be good kids today. I said, if y'all spit on each other, because they spit on each other a couple of weeks ago. I said, if y'all punch each other, 
I'm going to whip both y'all's butts today. Do you understand me? Now, here's the deal. I'm kind of down with the fact that they want to spit on each other. I'm kind of down with the fact they want to punch each other. Now, we ain't going to do it at church. We can do it on a trampoline. Crap, I got a wrestling ring. We'll do it in a wrestling ring. But boys are boys. We've got to let boys be boys. A couple weeks ago, one of them was crying. You know, I laughed at them while they were crying. That's horrible parenting. My job is to prepare him for the real world. You know the goal in parenting sidetrack. For this man, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. Let me tell you the goal in parenting for your children to leave. When they leave and they can function in society, you've done your job as a parent. Grown kids living in mommy and daddy's basement. Trying to find themselves. Go find yourself flipping a cheeseburger somewhere. We need some warriors. 1983, a guy named Dr. Lorne Whitehood published an article in the American Journal of Physics about the domino chain reaction. Don't miss this. You know, you knock over one domino and it starts up to knock over a domino and it knocks over a domino and it creates a chain reaction, okay? What was interesting is he discovered that a domino, I got to read this because I don't want to mess it up. He said what was interesting was he discovered that a domino could knock over another object one and a half size its time. One and a half times its size. So a two inch domino could knock over a three and a half inch domino. A three and a half inch domino could knock over a um, something. I'm not a mathematician. But here's what it said. By the time the one-inch domino, this is mind-boggling, by the time the one-inch domino got to the 18th domino, and each one was growing in the right size, it could knock over the leaning tower of Pisa. By the time you got to the 23rd domino, you could knock over the Eiffel Tower. By the time it got to the 28th domino, you could knock over the Empire State Building, starting with the one-inch domino. That's the ripple effect of a vision. That's the ripple effect of, a, of an action. When you make that one decision, it comes back double fold. It comes back a time and a half fold. It comes back double time and a half fold. And the ripples begin to go out. You throw a rock into the water and you see the ripples go out. That's the power of you stepping out and making that one decision. The problem with so many of us is we don't see the one-inch domino we want to set out and we want to knock over the Tower of Pisa. Did you know it was the Tower of Pisa? I thought it was pizza. It's not. It's not. Pizza. I learn something new every day. So many of you want to start out knocking over the Empire State Building. You want to have the biggest company in the world, but you ain't landed the first customer. Man, I'm a big vision guy, but I understand you got to start with the first thing before you get to the second thing. And the problem is you won't make the one decision because you want to make the big decision, but you don't get to make the big decision till you make the small decision. We need to realize that we should do for one what we wish we could do for a thousand. 
Well, I, 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 man, if I won the lottery, I might mean, take care of all the hungry kids. No, you wouldn't. Because you ain't taking care of one hungry kid today. Tell you what, Gary, when I win the lottery, I'm going to start. No, you're not. Because you're making minimum wage right now and you don't give. So you think you, so you can't give on your $400 check. You think you're going to give on your $400 million check? Get, get. Okay. We do for one, we wish we do a thousand. You're not going to change your marriage in one week, but you can change one thing in one week. You can decide, you know what, this week I'm going to be home for dinner every night and we're going to eat as a family. You can decide, you know what, I mean, I want to start saving money, man. We got a lot of bills and I can't put, but you know what, this week I'm going to start putting $10 back. You know what? Yeah, man, I, I want to get my finances in order, but man, man, I got to, this week, I ain't stopping a quick trip. Said something wrong with quick trip. No, I love quick trip. I think it's the greatest, like God blessed quick trip. Love it. Love it. But even I had I, my, my routine every morning was to get up as recently as a month ago, go to quick trip, and get a rain energy drink. God, that is the nectar of the gods. It's manna from heaven, especially the orange sickle. God made that. He kissed it. He blessed it. I used to go every morning. And then I went one morning, sent Emily in, taking her to school, and I gave her $8. I said, get me a rain and get you a Red Bull. She came back in and she goes, $8 ain't enough. I said, yeah, they're two ninety nine. And if you buy two of them, normally you, you get this price. That's how bad I knew it. She said, yeah, not anymore. Suddenly I was perplexed. Because I feel like God wants me to have this rain every day. He knows I'm not a nice person without this rain every day. He knows that I specifically want the orange rain every day. And if I don't get the orange rain every day, because I'm a creature of habit, those of you who don't know me, I become moody. So I tried about two or three days of not having any rain. And oh, by the way, I, I don't, let me brag for a minute. I can afford $8 a day, big roller. But it bothered me. So I did what any man would do. I went to my wife and I complained. I said, she goes, what's wrong with you? I said, I have had a rain in three days. She's like, well, go buy a rain. No, I can't do it. It's just a principle. I'm not paying that kind of money. This is how bad God wanted me to have a rain. My wife's in Walmart. They have two fl- they have 100 flavors of rain, but only two flavors that they package in cases of four. And the orange one was one of them. She buys them. And when she bought them, they're $1.79 a piece. So we buy the rain. I'm cool with that. And I'm really cool with it because I didn't see the money go out of the can because she bought it. So I put it in the refrigerator. But then I was so weird, it bothered me that I wasn't getting it from Quick Trip. So I would get it out of the refrigerator, then drive to Quick Trip in the parking lot, and then I'd just leave. I have issues. I'm not saying I'm normal. But over time, I can now drink the rain without going to Quick Trip. He say, what's the point of the story? It was one decision. $8 a day times five is $40. 40 times four is 160 
160, 1,600, 2,000, 24, whatever. I, I don't know. Almost $2,000 a year. In rains, I saved. One decision. So what one decision can change your life? That adds up pretty good. What's the one thing you got to do? That's a vacation. I'd rather go to the beach than get a rain every day. Well, that's debatable. I don't know because I need that rain. Now I can do both. We start with big things. Benaniah didn't start out being the chief of the Israeli army. He didn't start out being the bodyguard man. He didn't start by killing a lion. He didn't start by killing two of Moab's mightiest men. He probably started, he was that guy chasing a kitty through the streets growing up. I don't know. He was the guy in middle school that was wrestling the 78-pound division and winning all the matches. His first foray into fighting wasn't jumping into a pit with a lion. we got to start small. Some of you, you despise the small beginnings so much that you never see the big results. Every decision we make has a domino effect way beyond our ability to predict or control. But then I didn't know that when he was doing these things, killing two Moabs, jerking an Egyptian spear out of his hand, jumping him, he didn't know he was updating his LinkedIn resume, that one day he would be the head of the bodyguard. He didn't know he was chasing a pit into a lion, was networking for his future. His motivation wasn't to end up in David's inner circle. His motivation was, I'm going to chase this lion before this lion chases me. I'm going to make the decision that I need to make to live the life I'm created for. And what you need to realize is whether you like it or not, you might not even realize that God's building your resume. He's preparing you for something. All the pain, all the agony, all the success, but definitely all the failures. I'm not saying I'm much today, but I'm telling you I'd be nothing without my failures. I learned 10 times from my failures what I learned from my successes. Picture David. David's sitting down at his desk, and he's looking through resumes, trying to find someone to lead his bodyguard. One guy's got a law enforcement background. One guy was an intern in the palace guard. One guy was a driver of a Brinks truck. One guy was a mall security guard. One guy, oh, he was a Navy SEAL. That's pretty tough. And he's flipping through, and then one guy just says, jumped in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. Hired. On the spot. You jump in a pit with a lion on a snowy day, you can lead up my bodyguard. <laughs> so he hired him. And the ripple effect was in play. David wasn't just hiring someone to lead up his bodyguards without even knowing it. You'll see later on in the Bible, he went from leading up the bodyguard to being the commander-in-chief and leading up the entire army. That's the kind of man Benaniah was. 
And it started with one decision. The problem is you can't see five years into the future. You can't see ten years into the future. The problem is we overestimate what we can do in one year, but we underestimate what we can do in five years. We underestimate what we can accomplish in ten years, and you don't realize your decisions today are affecting your future tomorrow. That's why every decision matters. That's why every action matters. Your decision today will affect your life tomorrow. Man, there's so much power in it. Think about it. Had Mennonite not chased the lion, he'd have never been in David's mighty men. David might not have had Mennonite to protect him. David might not have become king. Benaniah might not have become the leader. No, might he wouldn't have become the leader of the bodyguard. He wouldn't have been the person who led Solomon's army 40 years later. One decision. 17 years ago, I drove to Canton, Georgia. Riverstone, seven tequilas. It was La Cazuela then. I met there with a pastor. The guy's name was Kevin. Kevin pastored a church called the Bridge Church. The Bridge Church met in the Riverstone movie theater. Anybody ever heard of it? One of you. You know why you never heard of it? With all due respect to Kevin, who watches my messages sometimes. Kevin wasn't called to be a church planner. He had about 10 people coming. I didn't know that at the time. At the time, I had an offer. This is a lot of money 17 years ago. I had an offer to go to Spartanburg, South Carolina. There was $175,000 from the Southern Baptist Convention and a group of 75 people ready to start a church. Then I'd always done college ministry too, so I'd built some pretty big college ministries at the time. I had a $100,000 offer and a building to go to Athens, Georgia to start a church. So I was praying between Spartanburg, South Carolina and Athens, Georgia. 175,000 people, no building, 100,000 people, I go to lunch with this guy because he's meeting in the movie theater, and the church I was thinking about starting in Startenburg was going to meet in the movie theater, so I wanted to pick his brain. As I begin to pick his brain, he tells me how hard it is and how tough it is. And now he meets in the movie theater, and he's actually two weeks away, and they're going to shut down. I was like, wow, this is a really encouraging meeting. And I leave that meeting, and I get in my car, and I don't know how to tell it. All I can tell you, all I can tell you, If you've ever been in this situation, I knew that I knew that I knew I was coming to Canton, Georgia to start a church. So I called the group I'm part of. I said, hey, I want to go to Canton instead. Is there any money available in Canton? Nope. I'll never forget what they asked me. Who are you going to preach to in Canton? The chickens? I said, what do you mean? He said, nobody. Moves to Canton. I said, I'm moving to Canton. I'm starting a church. One decision. One decision to go eat lunch with a guy at La Cazuela Mexican restaurant led to me being here. That's the power of a decision. That's how God moves. Zero money. I went and took a $25,000 loan out and I started that church. One decision will change your life. What's the one decision you need to make today? See, the problem is you're trying to eat the whole cake in one bite. Just take the first bite. What's the decision you need to make? In my business, I'm going to make sure I have three clients this week. I don't, what is it? What is the decision? 
we're going to get our finances in order for the next 30 days. Don't say for the next year. For the next 30 days, we're not spending money going out to eat. We're not spending money at a convenience store. For the next 30 days. I don't know what it is. It's one decision. For the next 30 days, I am going to make sure at least 75% of the time I'm home every night. Because sometimes if you're starting your own thing, you can't be home every night. My family. I'm going to make sure for the next 14 days, I, I pray with my wife every day. I'm going to make sure for the next 30 days, I spend 15 minutes. 15, scratch that. I'm going to spend five minutes reading the Bible for the next 14 days. I don't know what it is. Here's what I know, warriors. You're one decision away from changing your life. What's the decision you need to make? The decision you make today will affect your tomorrow. There'll be conflict along the way. One thing you learn when you're writing is great writing always has conflict. It won't be easy. You think it was easy? You think it was easy? Jumping in that pit with that lion? You think Ben and I walked away <laughs> with no scratches on him? You don't think he took some punches? Buddy of mine this week, the devil's, devil's just pounding me. Yeah, he's pounding you. Because you're trying to step out and chase a dream. If you weren't doing that, the devil wouldn't pound on you. He only, hey, I, I like it when the devil's attacking because it means I'm doing something right. Man. Here's what I've learned about conflict. Great conflict cultivates great character. The conflict is what shapes you. You, don't, you, don't, you purify silver by sending it through the fire seven times. Not by cleaning it, by sending it to the fire, getting it hot. You mold iron by getting it hot and you can shape it and you can form it. You want to live an epic life, you've got to overcome epic decisions. You've got to take some epic risks. What if I fail? You fail. So what? Failure sucks, but it ain't fatal. How many of you have been married before? Before the person you're married to now. You've been married before. Take your hands up. Yeah. How many of you, how many of you are a better husband or wife today because you failed in that marriage? You are better than me. It took me twice to get, it took me three times to get it right. I had to fail two of them to somewhat get it right. Man. I like, in 2 Samuel, we're introduced to another, I'm going too long. And Kylie's like, hurry up when we go to the beach. Listen, 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 listen. I like in 2 Samuel 23, 8, there's another one of David's. I mean, look what it said. These are the names of David's mighty warriors. We're just going to call this guy Joe, because I can't pronounce his name. Joe was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 800 men, whom he killed in one encounter. One decision. This dude... Killed 800 men. Don't tell me how bad you are. This dude was bad. I love that last in one encounter. He had one decision to make. Do I fight or do I flight? He fought. Problem with so many of you, when it gets tough, you want to flight instead of fight. Sometimes you got to fight to get what you want out of life. I shouldn't have to fight this hard. No, you should have to fight this hard to get it. That's what makes it so special. Now, that being said, 
You also got to be smart enough to know when to walk away. I don't, the answer's not always fight. You don't got to go to every fight you're invited to. I don't want to be given a mixed message. But warriors know when to fight and when not to fight. Okay? In every great story, there's defining moments. In the defining moments, you stepping out. It could be it's time to follow your dreams. It could be sticking with your dreams when you feel like giving up. It could be setting up a meeting. I set up a meeting this week. I don't know what's going to happen from it. But some big things came from the one meeting that could lead to some other big things that I got a call with lawyers on Tuesday that could even set up a bigger thing or nothing could happen. But I'll never know what could happen if I hadn't went to that meeting. Man, you can't steal second base if you keep your foot on first. So many of y'all want to play it safe. The goal of life is not to arrive at the end safely. That's what you think. No, it's to live life. Milk this joker for all that it's worth. Years ago, I decided to stop reading books motivating me to do stuff and just do the stuff. I got sick of hearing about how everybody else was doing stuff. And I wasn't doing stuff. Now, I know that's hard because some of you are like, man, Gary, you you already dreaming. No, no, no. What have I been telling you for two years now? I don't know what it is. But God's getting us ready to do something national. It won't just be local. I don't know what that. I don't know if it's events. I don't know if it's this. I don't know if it's that. But I'm I'm getting ready. I can just feel it. But those are big risks. I told you we have more money in the bank than we've ever had. And I don't say it to brag. I said to say, hey, guess what? I'm fixing to take it. And risk it all. Because the goal at the end of my life is not to die with all kinds of money in the bank. I got life insurance. If I die, she's taken care of. She don't need that money in the bank. My goal is to chase our dreams. Not hoard the money. I want to chase my dreams with the money. <laughs> man. I, I, man, there's so much. I could, I, we got to move on. Your decision today will affect those around you. I wanted to go into Rahab and how she made a decision. She was in the linen. I'll do a whole sermon on that. The harlot saved by Scarlet or something. I don't know. Your decision today will affect those around you. Ben and I made one decision. And it changed his life. One decision. But it also changed David's life. Because Ben and I made that decision, he became the leader of the bodyguard. I wonder how many times over the years, as the leader of David's bodyguard, he saved David's life. When David became the king, he was still a wanted man by all the other countries. I wonder how many times he saved David's life. After David died, two different groups tried to claim the throne from David. Benaniah both times, don't miss this, two different groups tried to take the throne from Solomon. Benaniah, two different times, led the group of assassins who killed those trying to overthrow the throne. You don't think Benaniah's decision affected other people? He changed the lives of everyone around him because he chased the lion. Man, listen, I I told you I've been working on something big. Here's one thing you know about me. I don't just go on my things alone. Probably to a fault. When I'm ready to do stuff, I'm like, hey, come on! I bring all my friends with me. I'll get them involved. I, mean, I don't want to do it alone. 
But it could change my life. It could change my friend's life. It could change my wife's life. It could change my children's life. It could be the legacy thing that I'm able to pass down to them if it happens. You say, will it happen? I don't know. I'm still chasing the lion. He might kill me when I get in the pit. But right now I'm chasing him. And I'm exhausted from chasing him. I keep everything, records of everything. I'm weird like that. I counted up this week. I've met or had phone conversations with 61 people this year so far who have a desire to step out and live their passions. 61. A lot of times that's hard for me because that's all I've ever done. I've owned my own company since I was 16, so it's weird to me that people struggle with that. I have to remind myself that everybody hasn't done it their whole life. Of that 61, very few will ever step out and do it, but those that do, man will change their lives, and those that won't will live with the regret of not doing it. You need to realize that people are watching you. You're setting the tone. Where's Lynn? Lynn stepped out this week, quit her full-time job, and decided to go full-time at her pet sitting. But here's what she's doing. Hold on, here's what she's doing. Her decision impacts her mother, who she takes care of. Not only that, it impacts her daughter. You say, how's it impact her? Because her daughter's watching her. Her grown daughter who lives in Colorado is watching her mom. I don't know anything about her daughter. I've only met her a couple times, but here's what I know. There will come a time in her daughter's life where her daughter will have to chase a lion. And she will look back and say, my mom chased a lion. She was successful in chasing a lion. I don't want to go too much into Lynn's story. Lynn, when did you move here? How many years ago? Nine years ago. Literally Homeless. Homeless. Literally owned the clothes that she had to her name. Her sister lived here. Her sister went to this church. She heard one of my sermons. Shut up and come home. Is that the sermon you heard? Shut up and come home and moved here. Nine years ago. Got clean. Been clean nine years now. In nine years has only made one bad decision. Dated the biggest loser in the world. Other than that, she came to her senses. God brought her out of that stupidity. And she's laser focused. But guess how she got to where she is today? One decision. Nine years ago. To move from the state of Washington. To here. She wasn't thinking nine years in advance when she did that. But it's changed her life. It's changed my wife's life by her moving here. We're my wife's closest friends has changed the lives of so many of you. Your lives are better because Lynn is in it. That's the power of one decision. I've always said I want to be a dream incubator. I want to help people just dream their dreams and chase their dreams. But you'll never chase your dreams if you don't make the decision to actually chase your dreams. Last, and I'm done. My question is just simply this. And I'm going to the beach in my Speedo, and I will be posting pictures. I will be posting pictures on social media. What decision today will affect those around you? What decision do you need to make that will affect those around you? I don't know what it is. Your lion is bigger than just you. It'll have an impact on everyone around you. So my question is, what decision do you need to make? It's snowing, you can barely see. And the dream's chasing you, it's stalking you. And it will haunt you the rest of your life if you don't turn your head, pick up your spear, and start sprinting towards the lion. 
had a buddy of mine been talking about selling coffee for years. I've had two cups of coffee my entire life. I don't know about coffee. But he's driven me crazy to the point that I just ignore him. Because every detail has been, I'm trying to get this perfect and this perfect and this perfect and this perfect. I finally come, I said, would you just shut up and do it? Shut up and do it. Called me this week. That was six months ago. He said, man, you know what I realized today? I said, what did you realize today? He goes, I finally started selling coffee six months ago. I said, I know. How's it going? Because I haven't really updated with him. He said, I realize I'm 75% there to being able to quit my full-time job and do coffee full-time. He goes, I'm so mad that I waited five years to do it. Chase that lion. Power in that. I, I don't know. But again, it's not just about dreams. It's about relationships. Maybe there's a mental mind shift you have to have. Maybe you're here today, man, and man, you used to be uh, addicted to something, alcohol, drugs, right? Man, you just know, man, you're supposed to step out and help other people. Then do it. What if I mess up? How can you mess up? Learn in return. Do it. I don't have a place to meet. Yeah, you do. I got a building right here. You can do it. Sure. Here's the keys. Now, what's your excuse? I don't know. I don't know what it is. But I know God has a dream in you. God doesn't make junk. And God has you still on this earth for a purpose. When he's done with you, he will take you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And he's not come and got you for that place yet. Come to me the other day. Listen. I went to meet with probably one of my oldest friends recently. This week. And I pull up and he's in his garage. I think he's 56, 57 now. He relapsed about seven, eight years ago. And he basically comes home from work every day, if he goes to work, and sits in his garage and gets drunk every day. And I pulled up, and I said, what are you doing? You just don't know. Here we go. What don't I know, buddy? Just imagine if you lost everything at 50, because his marriage fell apart eight years ago. I said, man, that sucked. I said, dude, I'm so sorry your marriage fell apart. Eight years ago. I, Christine said this was too hard, so let me preface that. Rick said it was too hard, so let me preface that. I looked at him, I said, then why don't you just kill yourself? What? I said, you've been sitting in this garage for eight years, drinking beer. And feeling sorry for yourself. I said, what a miserable way to live. And he said, why would you say that? I said, here's why I say that, because you have no kids. So I said, guess who gets stuck with everything when you die? Me. I said, so why don't you do it while I'm not busy? Where I can sell the motorcycle, I can clean out the house, get rid of the truck. I said, because once I'm busy, I don't got time to do it. I said, so won't you not be selfish? And just go ahead and do it. Or... Why don't you shake it off and get busy living? It'll be a cold day in hell before I allow my failure from eight years ago to define my life today. By the way, I've been in that man's life almost 20 years now. I had the right to say that. I, I, you don't just say it to anybody. I put enough deposits in that I can make that withdrawal. 
He didn't kill himself, don't worry. Though I did lay in bed that night for a second and be like, crap, am I going to get a phone call tonight that he's dead? Called him the next morning, he's good. Well, he ain't good, but he's alive. One decision's all he got to make. He's wasting life. You have one shot at life. There's no do-overs. You're not coming back as a tree. Your soul's not going into someone else's soul. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When your time is done, you're done. Why are you wasting it? Chase the lion and impact everybody else around you. Let's pray.